So hi, Krithi. Um, you are the gastroenterology registrar and you're called to see uh, a 40-year-old gentleman in recess who's presented to A&E with hematemesis. Um, bloods have been sent but aren't yet back. His heart rate is 109. His blood pressure is 95 over 42 millimetres of mercury. He's afebrile, but when you arrive, he's actively vomiting up 300 mils of fresh blood, which you've seen yourself. Uh, talk us through how you would approach this patient. Sure. Thanks, Michael. I think uh, the key thing here when approaching this patient in terms of history taking is to confirm the presence of upper GI bleed, which is quite evident in the uh, stem of the question here itself, and to provide initial assessment. So you're going to start out with a very quick A3 assessment and recognizing this is a medical emergency. And uh, this is where you could reference the BSG acute upper GI care bundle, which sort of can act as a guideline for initial management and resuscitation of this patient. I think the second key thing is recognizing and identifying a presence of shock in this patient, particularly a hemorrhagic shock, and to consider need for um, initiation of early major hemorrhage protocol, uh, which is most likely to be applicable in this patient. Uh, this is uh, in terms of points from the clinical history, the salient points are to confirm uh, the symptoms suggesting of GI bleed. In this case, patient clearly has hematemesis, which is a sign of GI bleed. And uh, next key thing is to confirm the duration of symptoms, how long has this been going on for, and if the hematemesis is continuing, uh, they should have an anesthetic review uh, for airway protection. Um, Next key thing in history taking is to find out if the patient has any history of cirrhosis or any risk factors suggesting patient might have cirrhosis. Uh, this would be uh, looking for uh, alcohol intake, um, any intravenous drug usage, and also any risk factors for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, uh, such as obesity, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia. Um, you would also need need to be looking at other potential risk factors. So that would include recent drug or medication use. Uh, two common drugs that you need to inquire about would be any recent usage of non-steroidals uh, or high-dose prednisolone patients on long-term prednisolone or recently started on high-dose prednisolone with no adequate PPI cover. Uh, in terms of drug history, you're going to be focusing on if the patient has been on any antiplatelets or any anticoagulants, if they are on them, when was the uh, dose last taken? And I think another key point that often get missed out is trying to assess the patient's comorbidities and physiological function, as not all patients will be fit for endoscopy, especially in very frail and elderly patients. As a more conservative approach might be more relevant and would be a more holistic approach to managing this patient. And, okay. or, yeah. and um, thank you. Okay. And then so that's uh, very thorough. So then you've managed to get some further information about this gentleman. He was admitted last year to hospital with a variceal bleed, uh, following which he was actually admitted to intensive care. He's known to have uh, liver cirrhosis secondary to alcohol excess, but he continues to drink alcohol daily with approximately 15 units a day, according to him. Um, just talk me through your examination and what you would see and what you'd be looking for based upon this information that you've now got. Sure. So in terms of examination, again, you're going to do a quick A2 assessment, particularly looking at the patient's hemodynamics. Uh, again, uh, I think as mentioned before, you need to consider the need to put a major hemorrhage protocol call and uh, involve who this uh, and know what who this involves in as it could vary from trust to trust. Uh, make sure patient has got 
good adequate sufficient IV access. Um, obviously, in this case, the patient is clearly hypotensive and tachycarding, suggesting the patient is decompensated from the GI bleed. So a need for major hemorrhage protocol is there. And if the patient doesn't have cirrhosis, uh, not like in this case, you need to look for any stigmata or chronic liver disease uh, that could include clubbing, if the patient jaundice, if any evidence of liver flap or ascites, planomegaly, um, and also you would need to do an abdominal examination. And the key thing here is to rule out an acute abdomen, uh, to rule out a surgical cause or perforation for the GI bleed. Okay. And then, if you're thinking about uh, investigations that you want to request for this gentleman, what would you what would you want to do? Sure. So, in terms of investigations, uh, and the first thing would be obviously blood test. Uh, so you're going to sort of send a range of blood tests. So, in terms of full blood count, you're going to be looking at the patient's hemoglobin and platelets, and also looking at the trend comparing it to the previous baseline. Uh, also assessing the need for transfusion, either in form of red blood cells or platelets, especially the ongoing GI bleed. Um, patients can have thrombocytopenia as a sign, as a, as a result of portal hypertension, or sometimes could just be clumping. So blood filling would be important here. Uh, you'll also be looking at the white blood cell, uh, white cell count and neutrophils as patients with cirrhosis often can be decompensated due to underlying infection or sepsis. That'll be quite important in, in addition to the CRP. Uh, and the next key thing is to assess the patient's coagulation screen uh, and the need for correction. Uh, this can be vitamin K, FFP. If the fibrinogen is low, then they should have cryoprecipitate as well. But I think key thing here is to discuss with your local hematologist who would be able to advise you on the relevant blood products. In terms of renal and liver biochemistry, often you find patients to have an isolated rise in the urea, uh, but they can also have concomitant AKI from the sepsis or hypovolemia. Uh, so if they do have an AKI, making sure they're safe in terms of the electrolytes and it doesn't need any immediate management, such as hyperkalemia. And LFTs wise, you're gonna be looking for any evidence of deranged LFTs, which again, could further indicate a decompensation of the lip disease. Making sure a patient has got group and safe done, at least two, uh, so that you know they do need cross-match, that can be done quite quickly. And a VBG elected and pH to check their acid-base status, especially if you've got uh, signs of acute abdomen. Um, especially in these patients, he's obviously got cirrhosis and previous variceal bleed, so it'd be key to identify any other risk factors for decompensation. So if they do have ascites, you can do an acidic tap, sending for cell count, cultures uh, to exclude SBP, and also patients would need to be have any septic, a whole range of septic screens sent before even initiating them on antibiotics. That would include blood cultures, urine cultures, chest x-ray, and acidic tap, as mentioned before. Patients obviously has a history of alcohol excess, so he should be started on SIVA scoring. And uh, often this patient should be started on lorazepam instead of diazepam or chlorodiazepoxide because it's shorter acting. They should have Pabrinex started on these patients as well. And a baseline ECG to rule out any underlying ischemia, especially when you're considering starting telepressin in this patient. Okay. And then your, if you're going to initiate the management for this gentleman, what would you like to do? A key thing in these patients is resuscitating rather than trying to rush an urgent endoscopy. So resuscitation is a key process here. Again, A to E process, uh, making sure they've got good IV excess. You can start them on crystalloids initially and um, transfusing them. Uh, 
depending on the targets. In very sealed bleed, you often have a restricted transfusion strategy, aiming between hemoglobin 70 to 80, uh, higher if it were ischemic heart disease, correction of coagulopathy and thrombocytopenia, as mentioned before, getting hematologists involved, uh, you could give them vitamin K, FFP, or cryoprecipitate, depending on the coagulation screen findings. Another key thing here is the airway management of these patients. Uh, often, if people ongoing hematemesis, uh, they would need an aesthetic review as they might need intubation in order to be able to do a safe endoscopy. And again, especially with hematemesis, you could consider starting them on antimetics and prokinetics to facilitate a better mucosal view during endoscopy. And in terms of specific management therapy for variceal bleed, uh, you're going to start patient on telepressin, 2 milligram QDS. Again, review the ECG first, making sure there's no any contraindications. And then starting them on broad spectrum antibiotics as per your local protocol. Uh, obviously, it's quite clear this patient is going to have high GBS score, uh, given his hemodynamic findings and his alcohol usage and hematemesis. But in more sort of more subtle GI bleed, you can use this scoring system to help stratify your patient, whether they can be safely managed as an urgent endos outpatient endoscopy. Um, next key thing is to get early ICU support if indicated. Uh, especially if there's any concern about airway management, or if you can, if this patient presents as an out, out of hours bleed, uh, often this is done in theaters and they should uh, have uh, some form of anesthetic review. Or if they've got cirrhosis and encephalopathy and a subsequent low GCS, they might need intubation. In terms of hemodynamics, if they do have get decompensated from you know, the blood pressure, heart rate, despite fluid resuscitation, they might need a level two care or even ITU to be initiated on vasopressors. Next step is to liaise with the endoscopist on call. And um, so you need to resuscitate the patient first and then making the relevant discussions with endoscopists on call, making sure all the key blood products and initial management has all been sorted first. Uh, so out of hours, you might need to liaise with the theater coordinators as well. Uh, in hours, there might be an endoscopy and there'll be an endoscopy nurse in charge or key early discussion with them and the endoscopy on call is key to prevent unnecessarily unnecessary delay. Um, um, next thing would be consenting the patient for OGD. Um, often patient might not be in a state or do not have capacity to consent. So you might need to put a consent form for and discuss with the next of kin or family members. Uh, if they do have capacity and they would be able to retain and understand the risk involved, then you can consent the patient for OGD. Uh, another key thing is keeping patient nil by mouth, uh, as uh, especially out of hours, you, until they get the endoscopy, Done. So confirm, confirming when patient last ate and keeping them nearby mouth until the endoscopy. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you for that. And you talked about consenting an OGD. What what risks would you consent someone for? Uh, so risk for OGDs involve aspiration during the procedure itself, further bleeding from the endotherapy, or failure to control bleed in the first instance, uh, or small risk of perforation and death. So patients should be counseled on all potential. Uh, risk involved of uh, gastroscopy. Okay, so uh, you then go down to the endoscopy of the patient, and on intubation of the esophagus, you can see that there are three columns of grade three varices, two of which have uh, red signs on them. What does this indicate to you, and what management is likely to be needed now? I think based on the history and now the endoscopic findings, this confirmed the patient did indeed have an episode of variceal bleed, although the patient 
doesn't have any active spurting vessel, but the presence of a red spot on the varices does indicate a recent or a stigmata of recent GI bleed. Uh, so the endoscopic management of esophageal varices are a bending, a ligation of the esophageal varices, uh, which will be done during the index endoscopy. Um, obviously, there's two forms of varices, esophageal and gastric varices. Patients do have gastric varices. The management slightly differ compared to uh, esophageal varices. For gastric varices, you do have uh, options such as glue injection or acryl injection. Um, uh, so that'll be your first line management through endoscopy. Obviously, some patients will go on to have a further bleed or index bleeding, which is not being able to be controlled by uh, ligation alone. Uh, these patients often will need a sangstaken tube inserted during the acute bleeding episode, uh, where they will need obviously anesthetic review and an intubation. Um, um, just to give a bit more context into sangstaken tube, uh, it's, where it's, it's made up of a esophageal balloon, a gastric balloon as inserted, and the gastric balloon alone is inflated, and then traction is applied to have enough traction or pressure at the gastroesophageal junction. Obviously, if someone, a patient has um, sangstaken tube in, then you need to think what the next step is going to be, especially if you can't control the bleeding endoscopically. So this is where you're going to be discussing them with a the tertiary unit uh, to facilitate a transfer for tips if the patient is fit enough for that procedure. Okay. And uh, good. And and you mentioned about tips there, I think, I heard you say. Um, what what does the TIPS involve? Uh, so TIPS is sort of done by uh, interventional radiologists. So it's basically, uh, you're trying to, the full name is transjugular intrapatic portopulmonary shunt, where you're trying to sort of reduce the pressure in the portal venous system by uh, creating sort of an artificial pathway between the pulmonary and the uh, uh, hepatic vessels uh, sort of to divert the pressure away. And uh, so it's, in, it's a radiological procedure. Obviously there are risks involved as well, especially if patients with encephalopathy, tips would could exacerbate the encephalopathy um, as there's more uh, shunt, but the shunt is created between the portal venous and the systemic circulation. So it'll be more diversion of the waste, toxic products, ammonia towards the systemic circulation. So which which vessel does the distal end of the, of the stent go into? So it comes, it goes from the portal vein into where? I will need to check on that. Sure. Okay. All right. Lovely. Okay. All right. That's the end of, our, of the time for the scenario. Thank you very much. Well done. Thank you.